0: download the free anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started so what are you waiting for podcast stardom is within your reach the music world moves fast want to stay up to date on the latest albums and get in-depth examinations with the artists check out consequence of sound the podcast bite-sized album reviews for the music fan on the go who wants to stay in the know and much more Subscribe to the series on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider and let the writers of Consequence of Sound steer you right. Check it out at consequenceofsound.net slash COSPodcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network, wherever you're listening from right now. I I hope you uh, subscribe to the series, whether you're listening on Spotify, on YouTube or iTunes and Apple Podcasts, really wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. You can subscribe as we put out interviews every Monday, Wednesday and Friday over at Consequence of Sound. I would love to keep you up to date on all of those I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Ed Kowalczyk of the band Live. It is the 25th anniversary of their breakthrough album, Throwing Copper. This is the one with lightning crashes, I alone, selling the drama, white discussion all over you. And honestly, it just keeps going down. They're releasing the uh, anniversary edition, and we're going to talk about all of that, the history Behind this record here, what it was like recording it, what the what the whole environment was like around the band at the time, and get some of the stories behind the songs, like lightning crashes and stage, and the new songs well well, the new songs that were recorded then and just unreleased until now. Uh hold me up, we sell in dreams, and Susquehanna. It's also a bonus disc on this anniversary edition that includes their '94 set from Woodstock. And if you're a listener to the series, you know I like to talk about the Woodstock shows. Not only will we get a bit of the behind the scenes on Woodstock ninety four, but live also played ninety-nine. It was a very different scene. And this whole anniversary run actually comes as the band uh, reformed. They had split up. Uh, the rest of the guys had uh, had recruited a different singer and, and released an album in there called A the Turn. I'm also going to ask about that one. But as well as their proper reunion EP that came out last year, the local 717 that shows the guys in top songwriting form. And Ed will give us a little, bit, uh, a little bit of insight on what's to come. There will be new music. There will be more new music. The band is currently on tour with Bush An Our Lady piece, that is a huge package, we're going to talk about that, but first, as you'll hear in just a moment, we're going to start back in 1989, because even though this is the 25th anniversary of Throwing Copper, it's actually the 30th anniversary of their very first record, which they had a different name at that time. It's Kyle Meredith with Ed Kowalczyk of Live. Hey Kyle, it's said Kowaltic of LiveCon. Well I know first off we're talking about the upcoming tour and this is all revolving around the twenty fifth anniversary of throwing copper, but I I did want to take the quick moment before that because because actually sort of Live's very first album, uh Death of a Dictionary, is is thirty years old. So it's so I don't think a lot of people and and honestly I've been a fan of you all since Mental Jewelry and I was not aware that Live actually traces all the way back to like the early 80s and eighty four. Like that's a long time to be around as a band. It is a long
1: time. You know, we started this band. Well, I've known Chad Taylor since we were in kindergarten. We both went to Devers Elementary School in New York, <laughs> Pennsylvania, and uh, then I met the rest of the guys. We all met the four of us in junior high school, and so we, start, we started the band the summer before we went into high school. I want to say that was eighty. 485 and then um we all graduated in 89 and i we called the band public affection back then in high school we were kind of like a hybrid new wave cover band doing our own songs kind of thing in in high school and we actually we we sold a Junk bonds to our relatives and uh, raised some money and made that Death of the Dictionary uh, cassette. Actually, it only came out on cassette. So that tells you right. about those days. In terms of, <laughs> it was later than the A track. No, there were no A <laughs> tracks. Not that old. But um, so that and then that recording, you know, really got out there and then we that kind of led to our record deal, which then of course Mental Jewelry was 19. Well, the EP that there was four song EP that preceded Mental Jewelry that was 1991. Yeah, it's been a while.
0: I mean, seriously, and, and you know, I've said this about other bands too. But um, you know, for a band to stick around seven years seems like an accomplishment. But to but to take it all the way back there, I mean, that's it's over thirty years, and that's that's incredible. I mean, congratulations! I I know it's not been an Thank entirely you. straight line the entire way, but here we are, no. and and we're celebrating still. So
1: it really is. It, it's it, that's exactly right. The perfect word for it, celebration right now. I mean. Like you said, it uh, it was not a straight line, but it's but there's a lot of beauty in it now that we see from the perspective that we have now on stage. Just we're we're happy for all of the ups and downs because whatever got us here, we'll take it.
0: You mentioned, you know, Death of a Dictionary only coming out on cassette, long out of print. Is that something you all will ever mess with, or is that left to the past?
1: <laughs> well, we'll see. I know, uh, fans would love it, so I, I I think so at some point, just because you know. There's just a tinge of sadness every time I read a little, like a, a comment about, you know, I could only find it on eBay from, you know, somebody from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you know, had like three of them, you know, that kind of thing. So we will. I, you know, we're, we've we been having a lot of fun doing that the last couple of years since we got back together. You know, we celebrated the 25th anniversary of Mental Jewelry and we did a cool vinyl and we did some <clears throat> different things for that. And then, of course, this one uh, for, for throwing copper was really fun. We we had three unreleased tracks from that record that we've um, included on this anniversary edition which were actually recorded during the throwing copper sessions but just didn't make the cd so it's really just for length you know reasons it was just we just had too many songs and had to whittle it down to 14 and end up leaving these three off that are just as good i think as anything on the album and and then we also uh mixed and mastered our 1994 woodstock performance as the other disc Um, or vinyl or whatever, whichever one you get. So um, it's been great because just, you know, we're we're doing, of course, we're doing new music as well and celebrating that. and, And we're, of course, doing shows. But then to be able to go back into the vault and, like, really have some fun sort of with these time capsules, has been it's been really
0: fun. You hit on some stuff I definitely want to hit on later, too. But but kind of going into Throwing Copper then, you had, had success with Operation Spirits on Mental Jewelry. Was there a moment that you remembered when you noticed that Throwing Copper was going to be so much bigger than that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because with Mental Jewelry, we felt like, you know, we felt so good about where we were able to take the band at that point. You know, we were um, We made a bunch of videos that were on TV. We, you know, we got on, as far as I was concerned, we got on 120 minutes. You know, uh, we got, and we got on the CMJ chart. You know, for me, it was like, okay, what do you, what else? Right, You know, that's well, it. Sure, so, you know, it right. For, that's where all my heroes, all my heroes were there. I was there, you know, so I had, I felt like in a lot of ways we had achieved so much, but then, you know, there was this blank slate between, you know, mental jewelry and throwing copper and the record, somebody's really excited about everything we had going, but we had no songs. I mean, we were just, you know, like I said, at this blank slate late kind of place and um i remember chad and i got, got together and we started to mess around with guitar tones for the first time we never really focused too much on what the guitars sounded like and of course that was we were getting lots of that influence of that era as well you know and with big guitars and big dynamics and um i was you know fledgling as a songwriter as a lyricist and it's just uh, there was a magical moment where you know it just started to come together our sound you know, we found this thing that we found this dynamic that um, really fit my lyrics and really fit these big songs and these big ideas. And um, I remember listening to we record. Well, rewind a little bit. We recorded "Throwing Copper" at Pachyderm Studios, which had just been within that year or two. Was you know it was when Nirvana did in, "In Utero," and it was just this amazing household studio in the middle of the woods in um, Cannon Falls, Minnesota. So it was really a special time. And I remember getting the 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 final mixes and listening in my car and just thinking, this is great. Like, we really made an album. We really made this piece that works together so well. And I remember, you know. Having my favorite songs and just everybody being really, really excited. But you know, fast forward a year before that, we were we didn't know what we were gonna do. <laughs> is
0: really, really. So once it happens though, I mean, you know, Selling the Drama comes out, which which by the way, that opening lick right there is like a pillar of my youth anytime I hear that and, and, and your <laughs> voice coming out. Yeah. And then there your voice is and and, and, and you know, twenty five years later I can still feel every moment of that and in, in in the way that music lets us time travel, you know, and that that sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, so I know selling the drama, it comes out, and then the singles start to roll out, and, and then it just seems to steamroll. Did it ever get to a point then where it felt out of control?
1: Oh, well, we were definitely, you know, riding the bull there, um, <laughs> trying to hang on for, you know, a solid year and a half. I, I think that, um, again, our you know, our perspective was that we, you know, had our, our, our goals were to get it out, you know, at College Radio, go, you know, be able to tour, you know, maybe get some you know bigger radio play with alternative radio but we you know, we were just focused on doing great shows and and sort of just had our head down you know so intensely to get the band going that um we you know, the album came out you mentioned Selling the Drama and then I Alone came out after that and then that kind of just you know we we really kind of hit I wouldn't say a plateau but we definitely hit a place where like okay people know know who the band is we're, you know, we're doing these great tours and then uh we got the you know the message from the powers that be at that time that Lightning crashes would be the next single and I was really excited about that because I did not expect it in fact I was told by the record company that that would never be a single even though I'd said it was my favorite you know I really loved it they said no way it's five and a half minutes long it'll never be single too long to get to the chorus, and I said, "Okay." I kind of resigned myself to that. So when I got that call that they were going to put that song out, I was just super excited for the fans and for the band because I felt like if that song in particular had a depth and a and something very special about it. And after that came out, then it was Saturday Night Live and Rolling Stone and the cover of Rolling Stone all within like two months and all this crazy stuff. So I had number one records, and um, it was really like in crashes that where it felt to be like, "Okay, now this is a whole different." Thing. Yeah. like and what we were expecting we're we're just gonna go with it and figure out really how to be a band in these big venues the venues got so big so fast that we had a lot of learning to do
0: you take a song like that like lightning crashes and And it seemed like everybody, especially because of that video, it became an instant debate about what the song was about. And I thought, you know, spirituality was such a strong part of your writing from the beginning, it seems like. But it also sounds like it's something that you constantly had to explain. Was that the case?
1: You know, I I resist that. I, I did then and I do now only because, you know, I've always written lyrics in these sort of like, you know, I'll take these sort of little Blitz and blurbs and I'll put together these more like montages of meaning throughout a whole song, I never really sit down with a concept of like, okay, this is what, it's, this is the story I'm telling, or this is exactly what I want everybody to get from it. I mean, I might have my own feelings about it, but I've never really paid much attention to that in terms of how people consume it and what they, how they interpret it. I just, you know, I knew it was a beautiful song and I knew that it left me feeling really good. And I figured, well, I'll stay out of the way, you know, with what I think and let people just, absorb this and take it in and consume it how they want to and it's been a beautiful thing to watch with that approach over the years and how how well it's aged because it's still so interesting to people there's there's this meditative aspect to that song and a lot of our songs that people really do drop out and make it their own and, and take it and in, in all kinds of different ways as a writer it really doesn't get any better than that to watch that something so simple as a simple idea and a simple song to have that kind of impact and still, you know, um, mean so much to people.
0: So, so with the success of a song like that, uh, you didn't feel any sense of um, uh, overprotectiveness to, to the song itself?
1: Well, you know, I, I didn't. And I, I think right away, you know, we were a big band in our own minds right away. We were trying to build, take these, especially in our school years, our, our heroes were these guys that had their hearts right out there. You know, you 2 mm-hmm. um, early REM, well, REM in general. You know, those were our heroes. So I I always felt like that's what you did. You know, you just went as deep as you can in yourself and you just pour it all out and people say, Oh, it's too earnest, it's this and that. Oh well, I'll I'll take those bruises because the payoff is this incredible relationship with people that became
0: worldwide, really quickly well, it's just incredible songs i mean and, and, and it's still incredible songs i, I, I do want Thank to ask you. about another one of them too because you mentioned nirvana a minute ago i i never knew it until reading yeah. was stage the song stage about kurt and courtney as as i've read no
1: no not in particular I, that's an interesting uh, interpretation i haven't heard that one yet that's actually i will have to go back and, and listen to the lyric now and see how that got yeah. pointed that way but it, not in my mind not not uh consciously now.
0: I read that in two different spots that got that mentioned. They didn't mention it in the same way, though, which is why I questioned it. Well, I think that
1: that song and, you know, selling the drama stage, you know, there was... I, I, when I go back and I... Well, now, of course, we're celebrating that record and playing these songs all the time. I think about, you know, that era and and um, and there was this sort of, like, internal battle, it seems, that every, you know, a lot of singers, songwriters, and bands were going through at that time, which was, okay corporate rock sucks. We, we, we want our bands to do well, but we don't want to be Bon Jovi. You know, we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to. So there was this constant kind of like tension between the super private personal spiritual music that was being made, not just by us, but tons of bands at that time and the business and how, you know, what was the coolest way to, and the most sincere way to express that. And the beautiful thing about that time was it was wide open. You know, I mean, we had, these amazing videos that we had total control of, and it was really amazing to to have that freedom at that time. you know people had really kind of said okay this was this was an era of the individual in a sense and that that we were able to like I said have that freedom and have that capacity to put out really whatever we want
0: the moment when when rock actually did rule the world, when you could listen to the top forty Absolutely. pop stations, and there it yeah. was you know' <laughs> mm mm-hmm. Well, not including you know a hidden track on there, the the album does uh, wrap up with just this amazing song, one of my all-time favorites with White Discussion. And, and now as I li- yeah. listen to it, I, I'm such a huge fan, especially of the follow-up record with Secret Samadhi. Um, White Discussion, now when I listen to it, it seems like the bridge to that album. It's like you could put the two albums on next to each other and that song, aurally, to me at least, it seems yeah. to carry it straight into it.
1: Oh, for, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely, you know an arc there between a few songs on throwing copper and then and then secret samadhi if anything that just went into a more kind of mysterious dark kind of place in general in that record but yeah there's definitely inklings inklings of it of that art in throwing copper that you can see where we were headed just getting more and more and more into guitar tones and i and and the dynamics of that and how to use that and that's a lot you know Chad taylor our guitar player he. He went really like mental with guitars. Like it was like a it was like a, a light switch went off. He just like we flicked it, and all of a sudden it was like there were fifty amps in the studio. It was like <laughs> what the hell happened? You know what? What are we doing? You know, <laughs> you know. And I, I, it's funny. I talk about Nirvana. I talk about those. But I, I was you know I'm I'm always remiss. I think to not mention um, Bob Mold and Sugar oh yeah and dinosaur jr and the and there there were just some such amazing guitar bands like guitar records that were so fun and so interesting going on at that time that um we just were soaking it all in
0: so we got the anniversary edition and uh a, a few of these yeah. new songs that you were talking about so so two of these uh so we deal in dreams that was the first one i believe that we heard because that came out on the uh, greatest hits right yes it, it did um so,
1: where, you know, these songs, I believe just we deal in dreams, so I'm the greatest hit. There's a song called Susquehanna that is officially, this is the first time it's been out. And then Hold Me Up was in a movie, but it wasn't on the soundtrack. So, it wasn't technically available for anybody to, like, have a good copy of it to listen to. It was just in the movie. It was in a movie called Zack and Mary Make a Porno. Yeah, the Kevin um, Smith
0: movie, right? Kevin yeah. Smith. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and um, and so this is the first time that they've been, those three songs have been, like, available, like, in one place that's connected to Throwing Copper and, you know, available in a good good way. It's yeah.
0: just amazing, the quality of these songs. I mean, you've said it before, Hold Me Up could have been a single, and, and, and I've I've read the story oh, of yeah. Kevin Smith chasing you down for years trying to get <laughs> this song the rights because it was so good. I mean, it says everything about this record, that a song like that wasn't included.
1: Yeah, it was like, you know, yeah, we were in the zone there. I mean, there was definitely a a, a good supply of uh, that, you know, that that pixie dust, as they say, you know, in terms of um, just one song after the other, just having this really unique signature and yet all working together and tying together. And and yeah, I remember having that um, conversation with our record company guy, well, the man who uh, really did so much for our career early on was a guy named Gary Kerfors, who um, he was a a mega manager throughout the '80s um, with the Ramones and Talking Heads and Debbie Harry, and, mm-hmm. and he started a record Ra- a record label called Radioactive, and that was our label. And I remember, you know, I had so much back and forth with him in the beginning, especially in his first two albums. And I remember him saying, "This is just amazing that we can leave, <laughs> we'll leave this song off." And I said, "You know, I remember saying should we leave it off?'" And he said, "Yeah, there's always room. we will always we'll find somewhere to, you it'll, it'll come out someday. Who knows? You know, and it's exciting. It was exciting to be able to do that. And now, you know, fast forward all these years, you know, a like I keep calling it, like a time." So I was
0: just like wow, look at that! Look what's in there? You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Woodstock being the other, uh, I of course love the the, the set, and and uh, I think Selling the Drama had come out on the Woodstock '94 soundtrack. I, I've talked to a lot of artists about this. You're one of the few that did play two Woodstocks with '94 and '99, and and I'd love to mm-hmm. get some stories about what comes to mind on those two shows. What, what do you remember about those?
1: You know, looking back on it now, I, I, it didn't, I mean, it was an exciting time. It was an exciting show. It was a humongous crowd. It was exciting that it was, that we were part of this, what seemed to be a historical thing with this redo of or celebration of Woodstock. So that was, it's all happening at the moment and, and it was amazing. But now I look back on it, I was like, wow, that really did, you know, that really did come about three months before the band was like all of a sudden everywhere. Yeah. And in no small way is it due to the fact that we played in front of, you know, we we did a really great set, short set in front of, what, I don't know, 300,000 people or something. It's an astronomical size of a crowd. So, yeah, looking back, I think, wow, that really was kind of like a a singular moment that year. Of course, the following year, you know, we were just off to the races, but but that was, uh, yeah, that was a, a watershed for sure.
0: And then, of course, you end up at 99, and I've heard you know several artists who did play the bill had a very different experience. I mean, we know what how history paints that, but but it seems like the artists sort of had that same experience that we see in the history books. Absolutely, yeah. I remember
1: well. We played Friday night, and so and all the sort of mayhem went down the day after, and we were long gone to another show. And we couldn't believe it. We were like, what happened? It started out okay. We were, <laughs> It was fine on Friday. And then all of a sudden by Saturday, it was like not fine, you know. But, I, yeah, I do remember showing up to the site and thinking, this is weird. Like, this is – it's super hot. It's just a bunch of concrete. It's this old Air Force base or something. And I remember thinking, this doesn't feel like Woodstocky stocky to me. <laughs> you know, this feels a little off. And uh, But that was just a sense I had. Oh, we'll go play the show. We'll play our set. We're out of there, you know, Friday night. And then that – Sort of feeling that I had, and I think that, like you said, kind of permeated the, the there was something a little bit off about it. And then, like you, you know, history now mm-hmm. that um, on Saturday, by time Saturday rolled well, around, mm-hmm. it was full blown.
0: It's interesting uh, on this on the soundtrack that did come out. They used "I Alone," and there you are. You've got the whole crowd chanting the word "love" over and over, in this mm-hmm. magical moment. Mm-hmm. And that love disappeared. That, <laughs> that
1: love was. They just went, yeah, I went bye bye real quick. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing about '94. You know, when I look back on '94, now '94 really felt like that. That was a a really special group of bands, and the lineup. I mean, it's just it's just out of this world. And and I think that you know. If you, you, you take, you know, okay, you say the, you know, Woodstock, and you go, okay, well, we obviously know the the incredible importance and awesomeness of the first one. You take the brand, you put it on a new show, you go, okay, I get it, it's, you know, we're doing it over again, and it's more of a, you know, a brand now that everybody knows. And but now I go, wow, it, there really was a sense that it kind of bookended a, a a real renaissance in rock and roll when you can go back now and watch the entire thing. It's pretty amazing. So yeah, I feel from this perspective like much more. Like it felt feels much more important now than I than I remember it feeling. It was just like not that it wasn't amazing, it wasn't exciting, but as we've seen some years here it truly really stands out.
0: I, I do want to pull it more into the present day. Uh, live put out a, an EP last year with a local 717. And and, and ho- I'm hoping that's just a precursor that, that, that we're restarted here and everything is go for, for the next round. Is that is that kind of a teaser of what's to come?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've, we started writing music almost right away when we got back together uh, three or four years ago now, which really surprised everybody. You know, we, well, first of all, we were surprised that we got back together at all. <laughs> the fact that we were writing music so quickly meant that, you know, the relationship was, was intact and we felt comfortable enough you know, again, to, to do that and get into that process. So that's been in the background of the whole entire reunion, um, even though we've only put out, you know, the one EP. There's been constant uh, efforts at recording in our studio in York. So we're hoping that this uh, ultimate tour wraps up, I think it's going to go into October now, that we'll get back in the studio late this year and then into next year. And then next year, of course, we'll definitely be putting out new music. Um, I'm not sure if it'll be an EP right away. I, Chad and I have been toying with the idea of, you know, getting into the sort of 45 of just doing two songs and having an A and B side. And then wait until we have more of those to, to put together as an album, just so we don't wait and the fans don't wait. So I'm hoping we can, uh, who knows, maybe we'll even write on the road. Yeah. Just, uh, I never know if that's going to work. But yes, new music, long story short, new music for sure. That's a big part of how we feel like, you know, it legitimizes us and, in our, own, in our own sense of what it means to be a band, that it's not just going out and playing shows. The shows are great, but if you're not creating, it just feels off. It just it feels like there's a big piece missing, even if it's not coming out right away. And it's just part of that process that just is so important to our relationship as a band.
0: Uh, I'll only ask a bit awkwardly here: Does the album The Turn have a place in your catalog, or is that, um, is that sort of something Hello. else? Hello
1: honestly never even listened to it and when we got back together we you know we decided that you know hey this is this is the original and um yeah, yeah we're yeah. gonna rearrange uh the discography to reflect the fact that um the the you know the original band's back and Yes yeah, so or no? That's not part of it anymore.
0: <laughs> right, right. So, and 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 I'll conclude with. So we got the tour. You're on tour with Bush. I, I just had Gavin on the show the other day too. So I'm actually glad to kind of um, oh, have both sides of this too, because because here you are, both two behemoth alternative bands celebrating, you know, huge albums. I mean, this tour, you, which I think you've already started on, right? I mean, it's it sounds like a monster.
1: Yeah, yeah. We did we did seven shows and they were absolutely amazing. I mean. It was, Last one we played Saturday night at the PNC Center in uh, Homedale, New Jersey was, I mean, just packed to the skills. And it was this incredible energy um, from the fans that I saw Gavin after the show. And we were both just like, you know, we're off for the races now. We're really feeling like this package is so strong for the fans and they're loving it.
0: Well, I hope to catch one of these dates and Our Lady Peace on there as well, which I'm a fan of. So, yeah. Yeah. Great band. Really great band. Ed, this has been such an honor and, and so much fun for me. Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to oh, me thank about you. this today. Appreciate it. This... And I look forward to the oh. new music, man. I love the EP. I can't wait to hear what's next. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right, dude. Take care. Take care, man. You too, bud. Bye-bye. A huge thanks. Ed Kowalczyk of the band Live, currently on tour with Bush and Our Lady Peace, the 25th anniversary edition of Throwing Copper, and their latest uh, new music, uh, the local 717 EP that came out Uh, late 2018. And remember, before you get out of here, there is a subscribe button in front of you that I hope you hit to uh, stay up to date on this series. Interviews out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can, of course, subscribe anywhere you get your favorite podcasts from, like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or even on YouTube. After that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Friday, where you can also find some bonus episodes of this series. Consequenceofsound.net has your music and film news. You can find me also at Twitter at Kyle Meredith and Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition of Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.